0: Welcome back to Got Teched, the podcast. This is episode 111 called 20 Engaging End-of-Year Project Ideas. In this episode, we've collected a huge list of our favorite projects and how they can be done as end-of-the-year experiences in your class. We'll describe each project and talk about some of the ed tech you can use along the way. Check it out.
1: Episode 111 will be forever known as the first episode in May. How does that make you feel, Nick? It makes me feel fantastic.
0: The uh, The weather's getting nicer outside, finally. I was finally able to get out in, uh, in my backyard a little bit and do some stuff that needed to be done for many 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 months you might remember in our last episode we talked about how annoyingly cold it's been but I think we're over the probably the last little cold snap there so it's feeling
1: nice how uh how are you doing well first of all I just want to say you probably just put the kiss of death on us there we're gonna have a blizzard next week shoot yep (laughs) because <laughs> every time you are optimistic, uh, you know, I feel like it comes around and bites us in the butt. You're like our own personal groundhog. That's true. I shouldn't have mentioned it and I know better too, but we'll we'll have to see what happens. All right. We will. And hopefully our tides will turn a little bit this time. As you were doing yard work, I am also doing yard work and uh, we moved and this is our first year we have to take care of a pool. And uh, I don't know about you, but pools freak me out. Yeah. I have three little kids, six, four, and two. I should have probably went the other way, two, four, and six. (laughs) And uh, I am just deadly scared of the pool. So we are buying a a pool fence for inside of our pool fence. Right. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, (laughs) but this pool fence, I've never even heard of anything like this. Yeah. We were both like, our one kid could kind of float by himself. He could kick around a little bit. Our other two, not even close. So we're going to get a pool fence for our pool fence.
0: That's one thing I never would have even thought needed to exist as a fence within a fence. Why does that have to happen?
1: Well, it goes, it's, so we have cement that goes the whole way around. It goes, this pool fence hugs like a foot and a half off of the the side of the wall. I feel like it does a lot of things. One, it prevents the little guys from jumping in. We cook out, we entertain a lot. So that will prevent them from jumping into the pool. Got it. But, you know, that's pool stuff and I'm getting a fence inside of a fence. Uh, (laughs) Kind of excited to see what it looks like, not excited to see what it does to my bank account.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's... I mean, all that stuff stinks, but, you know, it's fun having a pool. I grew up with a pool and um, it was an above ground. My parents, for reasons you're saying, they were too nervous to get an in-ground pool because of local kids from the neighborhood like possibly coming around and falling in. So I totally get the, uh, you know, doubling up on the fence thing.
1: All right, so enough pool talk and two fences. Let's uh, not build up (laughs) walls as we get ready to go into our main segment here, which are end-of-the-year project ideas. And funny enough, I remember the first time we ran an episode like this, we called it Battling Senioritis. Yep. And uh, to date, I think that's our biggest, uh, I don't know, flop based on a title. As soon as we changed the title, we got a lot more listens, but uh, no one even wants to mention that word, so forget that I even said it. Uh, Today, we're going to go over several different ideas for end-of-the-year projects. We'll bring in some ed tech in in this, but basically, we're hoping that this episode uh, inspires you to try something a little different, try something new, and we're hoping that some of the ideas that we have will help you do just that
0: this podcast is a proud member of the teach better podcast network better today better tomorrow and the podcast to get you there explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com now let's get back to the episode yeah um i you know the you mentioned the the episode that we should not be mentioning but i'm going to mention it again just not by name I thought it was a great episode, too. I mean, if as a teacher at this point in the year, we're all just kind of burnt out, and this year perhaps more so than any other year. And, you know, we, we offered, a, I think, a lot of great ideas there, but I think that it was the title that kind of turned people off. But, you know, in this episode, under a different name, we're doing the same thing, just updated with a lot more, a lot newer ed tech and some different ideas as well of things that you can do with your classes to wind down the year. And and the biggest battle here, of course, is keeping your students engaged. Once the weather gets nice, they want to be outside, which is great, so do I, but it can be tough to keep them focused for that reason. And that's why, you know, some project-based learning, I think, is, is a great way to do it because it's way more engaging. And maybe even some of these you can do outside, so you get to kind of feed that, that need a little bit as the weather warms up and as we grind it out to, uh, you know, for the next couple months. So we've got sort of categorized these, although not really categories, just types, and I'll kick it off with the first one, the first type. And that is a project based off of animations, and there's a couple ways you can do this. Uh, I'll talk about the one that I do and then maybe you can talk about the one that you're a little more familiar with. Uh, As a science teacher I love to have my students creating models uh, so that they can show me they understand a a physical process or a chemical process with this model and a stop motion video is a really great way to do that and there's an app out there called the Stop Motion Studio app, Uh, the blue one, not the purple one because the blue one is free and it just you know, it's a, this is a, a cell phone app, so the kids are gonna have to have their personal mobile devices in the room. But in most settings, that's probably okay uh, these days. And it's um, it's just great. The app makes it super easy. There's like no training needed at all. Just tell your, these are high school kids of course, but just tell them to download it and maybe like a very brief five minute explanation and they're off to the races. I always give them a little bit of a, uh, uh, I don't know, like an introduction talking about different types of stop motion, how they can use cut out pieces of paper or clay models or something, but you just let them have fun with it and give them some parameters of what this project is supposed to be about. This will take up maybe three, four, five days longer if you want to have their videos uh, shown to the class, and it's just a really super fun time. So I highly recommend a stop motion project, and I highly recommend the Stop Motion Studio app if you're going to do one.
1: Yeah, I always remembered that I would get frustrated about 50 pictures in because I couldn't hold my phone anymore. So big shout out to making sure you have something to stabilize your phone. Oftentimes you could just have a stack of books and put your phone you know, underneath two books and it will stabilize it there. Uh, some kids bring in selfie sticks, uh, they'll stabilize the selfie sticks and it will have the automatic clicker. That's another great way of doing it. And now there's those cell phone clamps that allow you to attach uh, your phone to a tabletop or above a tabletop and, and take pictures. And that's, that's gonna make this whole project a lot easier, I should say. Uh, let's get into mine. Uh, mine is Google animations. Uh, I love making these Google animations. Uh, I've done it with uh, high school kids, I've done it with middle school kids, and I taught somebody uh, and they hit the ground running at the elementary level and had all their kids uh, doing them at the elementary school. I mean, they were phenomenal. And some of them were five, 600 plus slides long. Right. They just loved doing it. But uh, basically what you do is you have a Google Slides presentation, you take an image, you put it on the slide, and then you just copy the slide and move it one, two, three clicks. Uh, for each slide and then at the end you go to file you go to publish to web and you could get a link and you could set it to once every second uh, and you could say replay and start on on click Uh, those are the ones that I would have you do but after you hit that and you hit publish to web make sure that you change the Uh, Number that's up in the big URL. It's going to say I think 3,000 or 1,000 I think it's advanced one slide per second. That's what it's that's what it's for Uh, If you change that to a hundred I believe that makes it more of an animation that It's less choppy. It's smoother and it's really good to go. So that's what I would recommend there Uh, I'm going to do a video on this for our YouTube channel here uh, soon, in the next uh, week or so, and uh, I will show it to you on there as well. But Google animation's is pretty powerful, it tells a story, allows students to be creative. I think it's a win-win for everybody.
0: Yeah, I love both of those projects, and they might be some of my favorite on the list, um, including some of the ones in our next type or category. Uh, these are gamification projects, of course, something we're super into. Um, if you're if you have been listening to the show for a long time you might have heard us talk about before uh, an activity that geis and i designed together it was his idea and then i kind of worked out the details over the years um, built off of the amazing race the tv show where contestants travel around to different parts of the world and compete uh, different various competitions as they go right we built a, a game, a classroom game around that. So instead of traveling around the world, um, I have the kids traveling around the school. So each each day of class, there's a different competition in a different location around the school. Some of them are in the gym. Some of them are outside. Uh, some of them are in like a little courtyard that we have, just different spots. Um, it's This one that we did kind of uses a Google Sites page as the location for all of the challenges and, you know, obviously we're not traveling to the United Kingdom, but they click on a, there's a web page that is the UK page, and then on that section of the website is what they have to do for that competition. Um, now, it doesn't have to be Google Sites, right? You could just as easily house this in Google Slides or in a series of Google Docs that are all linked together. It's whatever you want, but that's how we did it. And, you know, there's really nothing to, to say about this besides it's, you know, the Amazing Race or things like it are a great, it's sort of a, a great backdrop for just doing fun stuff in your class. So, and then what you have to do is come up with what these challenges, these competitions are going to be. Uh, some of the ones that I've come up with are um, the kids get like a little a link to a Google Maps page. And... It's got some waypoints set out on Google Maps, which you can do. You can mark little waypoints and then share that. So I I made uh, a Google Maps page with some waypoints around the school in the outside surrounding area and it's a scavenger hunt. So the kids get the link to this Google Maps page, they go outside, they run around, try and find these hidden things, almost like geocaching style, and they just complete a different chemistry task or question at each point. Um, we do a, a rap battle was one of them, that was your idea, I think, but we use a website called Flowcabulary to help them with that because they don't, you know, not every kid knows how to rap. So, Vocabulary floca- kind of walks them through it, gives them some beats, they record it, and that's a different challenge for a different day. Um, one of them I came up with too is just like recording an instructional video, which is kind of not necessarily boring, but with all these, you want to try and spice it up as much as possible. So I make them do it in a different accent of their choosing. And you can find, um, there's YouTube pages out there for any accent you wanna do and how to do it. So I think I let them choose between like, uh, what is it, French, British, and something else. And then they can just choose whatever one they want if they want to, but I have links to how to do a French accent. And they have to record the instructional video in that accent. And, uh, you know, there's like eight or nine of them. I'm not going to go through all of these, but that gives you an idea of some of the fun stuff you can do and and all set within the guidelines of, of this amazing
1: race-themed game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's awesome. I just thought of one that you could incorporate in there, so I'll share it. And this isn't actually part of our, our list, but going along with the scavenger hunt if on the uh, webpage, if you get them to... I don't know look at a resource have to answer a couple questions in a google form and that gives them a clue that they have to write down and it might just say one and then give a definition or something that goes along with the resource that they just uh, looked at and at the end they'll figure out that each one of those uh clues are really the clues in a crossword puzzle and then you could highlight a couple of the blocks within the crossword puzzle and that gives them a secret code or a secret message to uh get the next resource or something like that so i don't know just thought of it because you were saying uh geocaching like activity so if anyone doesn't know what geocaching is we have an episode on that in our first season something that nick and i uh do a lot uh we did a lot more prior to kids but uh yeah basically uh there's a site called geocaching.com and anything that has, gives you access to the satellites uh, with coordinates and things like that you could use you could use your cell phone, you could use a handheld GPS unit and people hide things in the woods and you might just go out and take a normal hike with your family and and find a box full of goodies in the middle of the woods and the whole idea is that you Uh, Go there you take a little trinket out of the box and you leave a trinket. So it always replenishes itself. So uh, Geocaching is pretty awesome, especially when you incorporate it into education. I'm going to go into my next one Uh, I call it the seven quests Uh, What I really want you to think about is a minute to win it because a lot of times in AP courses and sometimes in our regular Courses we get done with the curriculum early and what do we do some people watch videos some people? Um, I don't know, like just do a review for the final 17 days in a row or whatever it may be. Some people take all the time and they're perfectly organized and they they have uh, the content planned out to a T and that typically just isn't me. So what I like to do if I get done early is I like to find creative ways for them to work with the content, kind of like with Nick, with The Amazing Race, but I want them to build stuff and I don't want it doesn't always necessarily have to be quality, uh, but they have a small amount of time to do a task, and whatever that task is, is connected with uh, content. So we had a teacher here at the high school that uh, one of their their quests that they had to do at the end of the year was they had to collect cardboard uh, for a week, they bring in the cardboard, and then what they had to do is um, make a fort and they either they voted on whether the fort is going to protect a target like a whole bunch of targets or the fort was going to protect them and they were going to have like a a water battle water balloon battle water battle with squirt guns something like that and it got all approved and everything and the kids loved it they loved it they had a great time with it and uh so what i'm thinking is like a lot of little minute to win it, or a class period to win it, where they have a class period to to uh, prepare for it. So he was trying to get you know world uh, war strategies, how to win, or how all the wars were fought, the battles were fought, and how they were won or lost. He wanted to understand you know the strategies behind it. So he had them study war tactics and things like that for them to get an idea of what it was like, you know are they charging? Are they trying to outflank? Uh, and he he built in some game elements to his content and I think uh, just coming up with something, calling it the seven quests, there's seven quests they have to do these activities, some of them are timed maybe, some of them are collaborative that's fine and uh... another thing that uh, I did, and this is my next one, are team building experiences, and I'm saying this one because you could kind of bring this into the seven quests as well. Uh, We used to take a group of students, I taught uh, field ecology and I taught bioethics, and I would take both of those classes over to a local park. And we divided up the day into two parts, and it was all survivor themed, if I remember correctly. So the first thing is they would have three challenges. One, I just uh, stapled index cards onto rags. You know, just something that I could put on little tiny uh, poles. You know, the poles that you uh, that are used to identify electrical lines, stuff like that. That's that's what I got. Or dowel rods would do the same thing. And I, I put a rag, I stapled a rag to it, or a taped a rag to it, and then I stapled these little cards on there. And basically, I would tell the students a content-based story about Earth Day. And after I got done with that little story, they would get into teams. They would already have their teams. And it was like a relay race. They would go out. They would have to find the questions in order. And then underneath the question, so the question was on an index card, underneath the question were the two answers. And they would pull off the one that they thought was right and they would bring it back. And at the end, which we, we uh, kept the, the time score for that, and that got them advantages later on into the second half of the day. Another thing I did was I took twine in, in uh, these uh, bamboo sticks. And as students answered those questions right from the relay race, I got them resources that they could use to do the next challenge. The next challenge was I filled up uh, plastic bags with uh, uh, rocks and other things that they would need for the next challenge. And they had to make something out of twine in those bamboo sticks to pull back those bags from a long distance. All right, so what I'm doing here is I'm putting in these team building uh, challenges for them and then once they pull back that bag, it has content for them to work. So I'm just gamifying it, they loved it, they did all that, after they did that, they were sent out to find some geocaches that I hid in the park, and uh, we rounded it up with a little, uh, everyone was looking for the, the the sole survivor immunity idol that I hid in the park within a set of coordinates, and. Every whoever found it was the sole survivor. And that's kind of how we played. They loved it. We did this field trip for eight or nine years. And then uh, we kind of moved away from it just because of, um, I think we had a flooding or a hurricane or something that knocked down a lot of trees or made the, made the park a little less safe for students. So we went away from it then. And I haven't really gone back to it, but I may. And those are a couple of my ideas for the gamification
0: yeah, the beautiful thing about the, the park uh, field trip, um, you are you know, as a an aside to all this, you're teaching the kids about local park systems and the importance of that. And a lot of these kids, they don't even know that these parks are like there. At least most of them don't know. So, you're just getting them out there. It's going to be free. The chances are there's one of these close to your school. You may even be able to walk there. I mean, ours was like five minutes down the road. We still took a bus but uh, you know it's it's just an easy thing to to find and then planning out the day can be super fun um, another one in the gamification category I'll just mention quickly is uh, called escape the desert I'm pretty sure if you google it you'll you'll find it I adapted a version of this to myself uh, stolen from somebody else online I wish I could give credit to the creator but escape the desert is a scenario based game where The students are, you know, read this uh, story where they're flying in a plane and it crashes in the the desert and they have a list of 32 items and from that 32 items they have to, in small groups, so it's a collaborative activity, discuss and choose their top 10 uh, that would allow them to survive and the you know if you head to our show notes you'll see the one that i have with the list of things it's it's chemistry themed in some ways because that's what i teach Uh, so you're going to want to have to you know pick through this and modify it to include items that make sense for your curriculum or not i mean if you can just do the sciencey version too but you know everything seemingly would sound good for survival like one of the items in here is um raisins prunes and jerky as well as other dehydrated foods that's item 13 on my list a lot of kids pick that because they're like well I'm surviving I need food so they make that part of their top 10 but at the end once they all present and reveal their top 10 there actually is a a correct and I'm doing air quotes for correct um, a correct 10 because if you're in the desert having food is not your priority because you can go a long time without food, maybe two, three weeks. And there are things in the desert like dehydration in the sun that are going to kill you long before food. So food is like at the bottom of your list if you're surviving in a desert scenario and you're kind of getting them to think about that. It's just a really fun thing. Tell your students ahead of time that there are 10 correct answers. It's going to give them a little bit of motivation to find the ten correct ones. You can even tell them you're gonna you're gonna grade them that way. Whether you do or not, it's up to you. Um, but I've just had amazing success with this. So that's another gamification uh, thing that you can steal from us. That I stole from someone else and and make it your own. But it's a, it's a great one.
1: Yeah, in education, I feel like we don't call it stealing. True. I, I feel like we just call it that's and right. <laughs> borrowing and adapting, borrowing. But anytime that you can give the credit to who you got the idea off of. I am all about that. Uh, But I know that I encourage people to steal, borrow, adapt, whatever they get from us. Uh, You don't need to give us any credit or anything like that. I just want education to go, you know, in a progressive way where we build upon one another and make things better. Uh, So now let's get into our next topic here, uh, our category heading, which uh, we called Puzzles and Problem Solving. Yes, this could possibly go into gamification too, but we wanted to separate them out. And This is a place in education where I, I am very comfortable. Uh, I, I find these, to, these types of activities to be amazing in engagement of your students. Uh, the first one is something that I just tried for the first time last month. And it is called a murder mystery. So we have murder mysteries in real life. Murder mystery parties. Usually, you have a cocktail hour, some food, um, and dessert. And basically, the first, uh, the cocktail hours, getting to know all the characters. The after the main course, you really get down and try to solve who is, uh, who committed the murder, why it was committed, and then after dessert, you figure out who actually did the murder. And and that's what the murder mystery is all about. Well, another teacher that we teach with here, a social studies teacher, who's amazing, uh, very creative person, and I often work on these projects with her a lot. Uh, she wanted to try one, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we created one all about the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. And this went over way better than I expected. Uh, the first time you run something like this, I'm just like, uh, maybe it will go okay, but there's probably gonna be something that we need to fix. Uh, really, I didn't see anything that we needed to fix. I thought it went extremely well. Uh, at the beginning of the class period, they were already given their roles. The, the class period prior, they had to do some research on the people that they were assigned. Uh, they, they could dress like them. A couple of them took us up on that, and it was, it was pretty cool. And then uh, what they would do is they would have a couple of key points that the teacher prescribed to them. After they did their research, they could do anything that they found in their research, like early childhood, I went to Cambridge, I did this, I did this, whatever they want there. But they had to make sure that anytime uh, they talked to somebody, they got these three points. And it was like their origin, uh, whether they were part of an alliance and and uh, how they felt about the war, or whatever it may be. You can pick those. So that's what they do the first 10 minutes is they just go around, they take notes on everybody. We gave them these little these little uh, three inch by three inch uh, note, notebooks that they could write in. And then uh, after that, they went into the narrative. Uh, and this is where we showed them a video, it like four or five minutes long. It gave them a little bit of a background story on everything. And from that, they had to kind of dig a little deeper as to um, what was going on. And at the end of this part of the, uh, the project, or the activity, someone within the group died. It was Archduke Ferdinand and his wife, Sophia. Uh, so they died, so we gave them a t-shirt that said ghost on it. It was a white T-shirt, and we just uh, drew a picture of a ghost on it, and they put that on. And for the rest of the period, they could not talk. They could only listen. They could still participate, but they weren't allowed to talk. And uh, so they got that. The third activity, uh, they had to look at some primary resources, get a little bit of other things that were involved in the process, and then finally, before they left, they made posters based on the primary sources that helped them with that. Their exit ticket was they had to come up with a personal response or a one-page reflection who was really responsible or what event was really respons- responsible for triggering World War One. And it was cool because you got some people that said, obviously, the, the one that assassinated Archduke Ferdinand, but it wasn't really... Uh, we got some other clever answers that, you know, that assassination did happen, but if the one guy didn't spill the beans and who was the mastermind behind everything, it probably wouldn't have led to war. Uh, so the murder mystery is cool. The second one are escape rooms. We've talked about escape rooms a lot. There's digital, there's in-person, and there's hybrid. Uh, There's advantages, disadvantages to all. Digital, the advantage is it could be done anywhere, anytime. It's very cheap. Uh, And I encourage you to go back and listen to our Escape the Room episode. Our hybrid one is it brings the cheapness. Like it doesn't cost anything really to do other than you have to have technology there. Um, But you still get to print out copies of stuff. So there's still manipulatives that kids can interact with. But you don't need to worry about the the cost of boxes and locks. And then the physical one, which is probably the most fun, but it's also the most costly. Um, the physical one, you have to worry about the cost of locks and, and boxes and making sure everything's perfect and the locks don't break and things like that. But all three of these, super engaging for students. I never hear anything but, can we do another one, and uh, this was really cool, that type of stuff with these ones. So. Um, please make sure that you check out our previous uh, episode on uh, Escape the Rooms. We'll link this into the show notes, uh, but that, that is a great one if you want some ideas there. We also have YouTube videos on our YouTube channel that shows you how to make a digital Escape the Room. So pretty cool.
0: Yeah, there's lots to get into there, but like you just said, the best bet is to go listen to some of our other shows, uh, specifically focusing on that. If you've got some money uh, in your school's budget or uh, if you think you can um, wrangle something here at the end of the year to pay for, there are pre-made breakouts as well through services like Breakout EDU um, if you wanna sort of use something that's pre-done. Um, but yeah, those are all awesome ideas. And so is our next category, of course. All folks are on content creation, having the students make, uh, make things. When we say content, really we're talking about You know, web-based content, things like podcasts, videos, blogs. Um, We've also put like a photo contest in there that gets published online. And this can be another really fun way to have the students engage with something because, you know, the idea with when you create this content as a class, it's not just being turned in to you and you grade it and then it just goes into a pile or eventually goes into the trash like maybe a poster would. Um, best case center hangs up in the classroom, right? But if it's a podcast or video, you can actually publish it. Video goes up on YouTube. Podcast gets shared, you know through one of many optional free podcasting services for education. Um, same thing with a blog. It goes up on your class website. All of these things live on forever, so that gets some buy-in for the kids. We've talked about that idea a lot recently. Um, if you head to the show notes, you can find a link to the a a Google Doc that I use for my own class podcast project Uh, just to give you a sense of I mean mine is like super super involved but I really try and stretch it out this is like passion project combined with class podcast combined with poster there's tons of stuff in there but um, just to give you a sense of what that can look like um, you know for me I let the students choose a topic of their choice that chemistry relates to and they have to Explain, explain that really. Explain the chemistry behind it, so they can pick anything they want. Last year, you know, we had someone do the chemistry of an alligator's stomach, which is oddly interesting. You wouldn't even think about it, right? But that's a podcast episode, five to ten minutes long, um, and it actually, you know, they record it, they edit it, they make a poster that goes along with it. That poster becomes what's called the show art, so an image that represents the episode. And it's, it's there, it's there now. And you can, you know, if you go to any podcast player, you can look up chemistry connections and you can find that episode and all the episodes. And in a couple weeks, we'll be starting up season two of chemistry connections with my class this year. So this is a really cool way, especially once it's an established thing because the kids this year are now, you know, they become part of this sort of ongoing, Chemistry podcast that comes from our school in my class, so I love this idea. Check it out Um, If you're gonna do it, there's lots of podcast hosting services out there Um, Simplecast and Castos are two that are totally free with unlimited storage just so you know this can be done Without any payment at all on your end if you don't want to even deal with that You can just post a YouTube video that contains their podcast audio and that counts as well and it's sort of like another workaround to sharing these things out. But it's just an awesome, uh, awesome project idea.
1: Yeah, I, you know that I'm a big fan of students doing podcasts in class. Uh, and I think we've, we've covered that, you know, pretty extensively over the last year or so. Uh, I'm going to get into the next one in sake of time. And this is uh, presentations. So with presentations, there are three different ones that I came up with. Uh, the first one is Pecha Kucha's. We, we did talk about these in the past. It's been a long time. I just uh, incorporated this into an English class recently after taking a hiatus from this project uh, during the uh, COVID months where we were remote. But Pecha are done in Google Slides. You've Basically, the students have... 20 slides, and they have 20 seconds per slide. You set the timer so they need to be well-organized and well-rehearsed, and they have a topic. So we did the 1920s, themes of the 1920s, and we talked about prohibition and things, uh, some of the other themes that are found in the Great Gatsby. And what's awesome about this is, one, all the presentations, they're not boring. And the reason is, is because there's no words on there unless they're part of a graph or a piece of data or an infographic. Then there could be uh, words on there. Other than that, they're pictures. So for some reason, when there's words on a slide, people, students just want to check out. But when there's pictures, they seem more actively engaged. And when you tell them that, when you tell them nothing, like, if you tell them that they're not going to be handing out any notes to any presentation, well, then some of them will probably take notes, some of them won't. If you say that uh, you are going to hand out notes, they're not going to pay attention. But I found out this is the third or fourth time we ran this. If you say nothing, one kid will take notes. They will see. They will be seen by other kids, and all of a sudden more people are taking notes and then at the end you just give them a packet of notes as you know just so they could go back over it later but it's pretty cool in the presenters what a great way of teaching students how to be public speakers and it's nerve-wracking the first time you do it I would do it more than once throughout the year and it's nerve-wracking but they have a fail-safe you tell them to their practice or the rehearsal has to be a screencast, and you use the screencast to grade it. But you, the first time, you just say, you know, the screencast will grade it, but I still want you to do it in front of the class to get practice for doing it later. And then they come back and do this. And once again, this the trick here is go to publish to slides or publish to web uh, your set of slides and have it switch every 20 seconds. But Google doesn't give you the 20 second option. So once again, if you go up to the URL after you hit publish and you change, I think it's 5,000 or 50,000 is the number up there, and you change it to 20, just flat out 20,000, that will be 20 seconds. Okay, so uh, we also have a resource on that, uh, show you how to do that, and that will be in the show notes as well. So the other
0: cool thing about a Pecha is you really get to see what that student knows who's presenting if there's words on the slide and this is not a student thing this is most presenters they just read the words and it's very dry Um, but with a pecha kucha they can't just read the words because there's no words and it really forces you to see what they know and get to hear their voice because they're just they're just talking from from what they know about this topic so i like it for a lot of reasons Um, in this presentation category you could also do you know, what we've called passion projects, genius hours, working interviews, all these things. And there's a tons of overlap here, right? Like my, my podcast project is also a passion project because the students get to pick something they're passionate about and make a podcast about it. You know, podcast doesn't have to be the concluding activity for that. It can be a presentation that they give to the class. It can even be a Pecha Kucha presentation they give to the class. So, you know, it's just another thing to add to the list that overlaps with a lot of these project ideas we're bringing up. And with Genius Hour specifically, we've got an episode on that as well if you want more info, but the idea that it's, you know, an hour a week or whatever it is, however you want to set it up, where the students get to work on any project of their choosing. That's supposed to be like very freeform and with any, any product of their choosing too. Um, you can check out that older episode from us to learn more about it. I think we had a guest on that episode too, who can walk you through, uh, his experience with the, with the whole thing. So that's, uh, that's some presentation ideas for you guys as well. Did we miss anything there?
1: No, I think we're good. And that's going to lead us into our last two categories. Uh, the next category is real world experiences. This is another place where I like to live a little bit in my classrooms, um, and under here, I have uh, three words or three three uh, topics to talk about, game commissioner, politician, and outside speakers. Now, when you think of that, this is a very uh, weird list. But I'm going to go in and kind of give you what I'm thinking with all these. So as a science teacher, when I taught field ecology, and I also did this in bioethics, I believe, uh, I would give groups of students a, a project. Uh, it was based on their, their group collectively as a game commissioner team. Uh, they're given a budget and they were assigned three streams. Three different streams that have three different rock beds or substrates in the bottom. And they had different flow rates. There's a lot of data that I gave them, different types of trout that lived in there. I gave them the living conditions that you know these types of trout can survive in, like the pH levels, the, the water temperature levels, uh, things like that. And I got them to think of how they would stock these streams based on a limited budget, based on how each stream could support that type of trout. And I told them uh, that based on your group, I usually make five or six groups, but based on your group, five of the groups will be fired or not hired for the job, and one group will be hired for the job. All right, It's safer because they're in groups, and anytime you do something in a group, I feel like you could get away with that, whereas if everyone was individual and you just told them they were fired, I, I feel like that would lead to more issues. But they kind of like it because I make light of everything. Because sometimes oftentimes they they give it their best effort and three or four of the groups are amazing and they do great and the other two left out one thing so the two that left out one thing i would point out the one thing that they left out or i'd ask the students to point out the one thing um i would always have the students rate the other uh presentations as well because they oftentimes are pretty in tune to who's going to get offered the job and uh at the end, usually what i do is I'd be like, these are all great. Uh, give a couple compliments. Um, as a group, we, we tend to left out, you know, X, Y, and Z, where we didn't think about this, or I was really looking for this. Uh, and then when it got down to the final three, you know, I just would point out something. After I gave them their constructive criticism, I would just point out something like I really just didn't like the color of your fish (laughs) or the fish had three (laughs) fins instead of two fins. And I was really looking for a two fin fish, you know, something like that made make light of the situation makes it more of a safe space. But they like that type of challenge because it's a challenge. It's short lived. It's to the point it's focused and, and they really get to land their plane at the end and put their best foot forward. And it's just a fun time. So that was my game commissioner.
0: Yeah, it's with all these, you're, if you're picking up on a pattern here, it's finding some motivating factor. And that's what ties all of them together for these end of the year projects. You know, for the, that one, of course, it's not getting fired or getting hired for, you know, the job, whatever it's going to be. Um, you can do this, you know, a lot of our examples are science because that's what we teach, but just think about your whatever you teach. So if, you know, if you're in the social studies, some kind of history teacher, you could tie in any current event i mean right now of course as we're recording this in spring of 2022 there's the whole ukraine russia scenario going on you could put the students in a room as politicians and they have to work out a plan to you know resolve the conflict and then choose whose plan gets chosen there's a version of this project that can get tied in everywhere and then you mentioned outside speakers as well that's something i haven't done in a couple years because of covid of course but just reaching out to your community, having people come in. A lot of these people are just going to be parents of your students who have careers in certain fields and are going to come in and talk about it. That's the way I used to do it in my chemistry class people with chemistry-related careers would come in. We had one a week uh, for, like, the last few weeks of school. And it's, uh, you know, an, an obvious thing to pique their attention. And it was a big hit, and you can try and work that out. And um, if you're going to do that, I would recommend trying to find local... Community groups a lot of the times there are groups set up to find these people for you Or a group that might know of these people who would be willing to do it and I think those are all um, You know all awesome things you could try to do to to wrap it up I'll, uh, I'll also introduce our final category here called planning an event Perhaps the most fun, but also perhaps the most work because you're actually planning. I guess it depends on how you do it but uh, to really do it, you're just you're gonna plan something as a class that then gets put on like a fundraiser for the whole school or for um, you know for charity perhaps to raise some money, um, screening a documentary of some sort that could you know not just be for your class but your students design a way that more classes other classes can come together and watch this thing together a festival a fair of some kind. I know here the A.P. statistics and AP government classes combined to put on some type of a, a games fair where they collect data and uh, you know present those findings so there's all sorts of creative ways that you could do this sort of thing years ago you and I wanted to do a, a food truck festival with our um, the student government group that we we're working with that never got off the ground but that's always kind of been one that sticks in the back of my mind there's just tons of really cool things you could do and here we are two months out before the end of school there, be plenty of time to come up with what you want to do assign the students in your class roles and get approvals and all the all this stuff you have to do so a decent amount of work there but i I think it's the type of thing that you're going to be excited to do and that's you know that's really what this episode is all about there's there's lots to do but everybody is going to be excited to do it because of how engaging all these are
1: yeah the the plan of event i wish that A lot more schools would adapt after the third quarter. The last quarter is either job shadowing, uh, some type of service learning project or planning an event, something along those lines. Because I feel like once we get into the fourth quarter, it's really everyone just finishing up and holding out for final exams. And now that final exam seems to be going away, it seems to be optional at this point, uh, and a lot of people are going away from it. I think it would be a great time to do service learning or job shadowing because, I don't know, I just feel like kids go to college, they're, they're supposed to pick what they want to do and they've never really have had any type of an experience with the profession that they want to do. And then the next thing you know, we change majors in college 13 times and we're there for a couple extra years because uh, you know we're slowly finding our path what we want to do, and I I just think that would be a great way to get some needed experience to our students before they have to make some, you know, extremely expensive financial decisions as to what they're going to do with their life and something that big. So I guess that's going to wrap it up. I'm going to kick it over to you to do the the last uh, bit here, and uh, yeah, I think this was a great episode.
0: Yeah, this is kind of like the like a, the ultimate list of what got Tech the podcast and GotTech.com is is all about and we've mentioned so many of the things that we've done you know entire episodes on over the past few years of this show and i think there's just tons of good stuff here hopefully the uh this brief flyby overview got some people inspired to create some new project ideas as always check out the show notes uh, to find links to a lot of the things and you know some of the ed tech that we think can work to make them happen. If we've got examples of these projects, it'll be there as a starting point for you. And uh, you know that ties in with as always doing us some favors subscribing on Apple, please. If you're going to subscribe, but Spotify, Google, Stitcher, uh, you can find us on YouTube at We Got Tech as well uh, for our our video channel there. Facebook, uh, Twitter, all that good stuff. Uh, Write us a review if you really want. That would be awesome. uh, Hopefully an Apple podcast review is the most helpful. Tell your friends about us. There's still a lot of teachers that don't know about um, educational podcasts or might not think it's for them, but maybe we can be that podcast if you let them know. GotTech.com is our website where you'll find show notes and episodes and free stuff and blog posts and much more. And we are very lucky to be part of an awesome podcasting network, by or called the teach better podcast network so check out those guys as well where you'll find our show along with lots of other really awesome educational podcasts thanks for listening